Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by Dana Roach and Max Krendel from Dana's other show, CMDR Central. Joey, thank you for having me on. So I'm going to disregard that comment. <laughs> but I would like to tell you a story about earlier in my Vegas week. I would love to hear it, Max. I bought some shoes from a drug dealer, and I don't know what they were laced with, but dang, I was tripping all day. Wow! The dad jokes continue even when Matt Morgan is not here. Oh, this is some next-level stuff, guys. I'm not prepared for it. Uh, listeners, this is actually part two of a crossover episode that we are doing with CMDR Central. So, if you'd like to hear part one of our thoughts on GP Vegas, you can head on over to their podcast and then you can listen to it there. This is going to be the second half of that conversation where we're going to talk about the rest of the stuff that happened to us at the GP. How's it been, guys? We're recording right now in a small little room surrounded by luggage and magic <laughs> cards, so it's been going pretty great. Um, I want to go home and sleep, but, <laughs> but, but, but we also want to sit here and play more magic. Yeah, like absolutely. I would play for three more days of this for sure. Um, I don't know if my wife would like that, but I don't think I would, my boss, or my would boss like that. right? I don't think my dog would like that. Yeah, so. right, right. But it's been uh, amazing. We've done so much crazy yeah. stuff. It's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it's been super, super fun. In the first half of the uh, show on the episode that will have gone out, I think either Monday or Tuesday uh, for the previous one, we talked about our experiences in the command zone area uh, at the GP and also the command zone party, our experiences with the pre-con decks. Yeah, we had an absolute blast, especially not only was it fun to meet a bunch of listeners and even sign more cards, which was a very <laughs> scary experience for me. It was very humbling. Uh, but we also got to meet so many other people from within the Commander community, which was really awesome. We actually got to meet Ken Peddle, also known as Kenneth Norn on Twitter. We got to meet our editor and yeah. play against him. He was doing his best Matt Morgan impression and playing Valduk, which was really awesome. He was. We got to play against Don Miner, got to meet him as well and see all of his ridiculously gross stack decks, which was really, really fun. But also the guys from the CCO Commander Cookout podcast, uh, Cameron from Lab Maniacs, who had a really, really nasty uh, Planeswalkers, Will and Rowan kind of a deck. Um, the people from Architect. Yeah, that was super fun. They were guys. great. Mike, Andy, and Emily, they were an absolute blast to hang out with and play. And I also got to meet Her Majesty Erin Campbell, the Dredge <laughs> Queen, first of her name, Breaker of Games. Uh, that was absolutely, it was a total pleasure to be demolished by her. That was like the, the happiest I've ever seen you in reaction to something. Like you're... People don't want someone's face lighting up. Like you, that was literally like like you like you lit up. She is the queen of graveyards. You treat royalty like they're royalty. I don't know. It's just yeah, and you were you, you were genuinely like freaked out and nervous. Like your hands were like shaking a little bit. I mean, it was legit. That was a legit reaction from you. Okay, well, we're which was move super on. cool. No, we're gonna, like we're gonna move was, on to save me from the embarrassment. It was really really endearing. Well, let's just, we got to meet so many awesome people. Eventually, I learned how to chill. But it was, it was a really Did great you time. Know? Eventually, I pretended to learn how to there chill. We go, there we go. Uh, but it was a really, really great time to spend with all of these amazing community yeah. members. It was just absolutely fun. Did you guys have any specific fun games or any trends that you noticed within all of the games that you play? Because we played a lot of games. It might be easier to view things from a macro level than a microscopic level at this point. Um, sure. The one real trending thing I noticed, and I don't know if it's like a trend so much as it is a playgroup thing, is there were a couple different times I would sit with an actual playgroup of people where it's mm. like three friends and I sat in with them. And one thing I noticed that I hadn't ever really noticed before was some groups, I think, have a tendency to 
target the weak link at the pod to knock somebody out. And some groups, and mine is one that plays this way, tends to target the strongest player to knock them back down to keep them from winning. Very interesting. Yeah, and I really noticed that trend, particularly here for some reason, but I think it was because I tended to play with with groups of people yesterday in particular that were friends. So I'd sit down at one group and I would see some one person would like have a bad, you know, they'd get flooded early and have no creatures defensively, and everyone would turn on that player. And I was used to everyone turning on the person that dropped that early Marty's Wake or the early Sylvan Library or something. Right. And I, that's what I'm accustomed to in a game where like the person who has the edge gets hit versus the person who's the weak link getting hit. That's a very different dynamic, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if well, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying that's, I, I think, um, I think playgroups maybe tend to follow that trend because I would say in our shop where Max and I play, it very much tends to be people focusing the strong player. Yeah. Definitely, and uh, I was I was kind of a few times surprised to see people focusing the weak player, which strategically makes sense sometimes too. If you can knock out an opponent, that's one less person that can board wipe or counter spell or rift or whatever. Right. I mean, the adage has certainly been that sometimes if you leave someone alone for too long, yeah, they sure. develop too many resources. So again, it's not saying that one of these players yeah, no. is necessarily worse. But taking down the more obvious threat versus the person who's available, that's a very different dynamic yeah, if you're not used to it. For sure. And, and, and it was made, I think, even more apparent when it was a group of people all doing the same thing versus like a random pod where you might have one person do one thing and one do the other. Um, so that was just interesting. And it's something that I think I maybe have to start bearing in mind when I'm playing with different play groups and adjusting my play style accordingly. Because there is sometimes when I play in an environment where everyone focuses a strong player, where if I'm off to a weak start, I can then intentionally go, all right, well, I'm not going to get hit clearly next turn because that person just did this, so I'm safe to just ramp instead. And that's not always the case. Sometimes, like, that isn't a shield. The person doing well isn't a shield. They're going to turn on you, and I need to right. maybe remember that different people are going to react in different ways to that. Yeah. Max, what about you? I actually played with a lot of new players this week. Like, players that said, I've been playing for six months, or eight months, yep. or less than a year, which I thought was both cool because the command zone allows people to just come and play, no matter your power level. Um, but I noticed a lot of creature decks in Vegas. They were, I didn't run into a lot of combo decks or anything, mm. but it was very creature-focused decks is what I faced all weekend long, which was a change of pace. I came expecting faster combo decks, and it was nice to slow down. Interesting. I... Well, so this is a funny thing for me. The trend that I noticed is that almost all of my games took like two hours. <laughs> like, yeah. They're a lot of long games. Yeah. I, I had some slug fests when I was playing here. Uh, so I don't know that I even got to play as many games as you guys necessarily, because you went through them a bit more rapidly. But I had some very, very lengthy games. And that is precisely because I think so many of them were based like strategically. The stuff was going on in their hand rather than on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of having the opposite of ex uh, experience there, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, considering the threat assessment uh, stuff that, Dana, you had mentioned earlier, I did have uh, one interesting moment where I think I'd mentioned on a previous show uh, one of my best friends, uh, his girlfriend, uh, she's known how to play for a while, but she's sort of getting back into the game. Um, and she had an amazing comment that I absolutely loved where she was, she looked at the board, and again, she's like just coming back to the game. And she's like, hmm, my entire strategy is on the board, but your entire strategy over there. Yours is all in your hand, which means I can't trust you ever. I think I need to kill you now. And like that's just such a good lesson. Yeah. It's just such a fresh yeah. take. And that was something that I noticed uh, that I kept on running into here. 
uh, when it came to time for threat assessment, people were like, huh, well, that guy has the most powerful thing on the board. I'm like, yeah, but that guy has 98 cards in his hand. Yeah. Like, that guy's got a bunch of, he's doing the planeswalking things. Like, what is the most threatening thing to you? So, like, it was definitely a very different environment for threat assessment than I'm also used to. That, yes. that is definitely something that I noticed. Adjusting to a much wider meta pool, I guess, was something that was uh, kind of almost a struggle a little bit. It was a very radical shift. The, the, the floor was shifting beneath us. I think playing with a, a relatively static play group, I wouldn't say it makes you lazy, but it makes you maybe shortcut some things or take them for granted. I like mentioned mentioning the threat assessment or hitting this hitting the soft target or the strong target. I I was taking that for granted, or information in hand versus on field. You know, if I'm used to playing with the same three or four people that that realize that the guy who just drew six cards is the true threat, you can maybe take that for granted with other players who might not process that information the same way and not realize that player is a threat. So it might still be, you know, too difficult to call it any specifics, but do you guys have any one particularly play-of-the-game fun moment that uh, sticks out from the rest of the weekend? I have one, and it was actually one that we didn't mention on the part one. It was during the rotisserie draft, my first round. Uh, Brando from CCO Podcast did a Buried Alive on turn three. Love it. Went and got Maelstrom Wanderer, Vigor, and some other big teamer creature that he wanted to play. Uh, he passed his turn, and Ryan Green bajuka bogged him on turn three. Oh, that's oh. mean. Yeah, that it, it, it was very mean. Doesn't Vigor shuffle into the library if it goes to the graveyard, though? Shows how awake we were. <laughs> <laughs> or, once again, shows the guys at CCO yeah. may be missing out on how cards function. Woo! Yeah, if you want to hear Dana, like you guys. <laughs> if you guys want to hear Dana be a little incendiary, go listen to part one on the other on the other show. I don't mean to throw you guys under the bus. You guys, uh, CCO podcast, they you were, were they're pretty great. You were astonishingly kind. It was uh, it was very very exceptional. It was really a treat meeting absolutely everyone in the community for a specific moment that I found absolutely hilarious. Cameron from Live Maniacs played against me, and he. Went to re- he he reality shifted a caustic caterpillar when I was playing Marin. It's a one mana one one that destroys things. I was just like, how can this be the? You've got to be. He's just like, no, I have way too many artifacts in here. I can't let you have this. That thing's way too good. And I'm just like, okay. And in I there- forgot it was in the deck. I'm gonna be honest with you. I drew it and played it turn one. I'm like, oh yeah, this is here. But it was like the most threatening thing there. So like even my own self threat assessment is something that sure. I think I need to work on. Well, in a Marin deck, you are going to loop it repeatedly, probably. And if you're playing an artifact deck, that is going to hit you. But yeah, that's that is interesting how some people view th- threats compared to yourself. For well, sure. And that's just it. It reminds you to look at what's in my deck that is most threatening to them. Because sometimes it's not what you think. Yeah. What you're planning on doing isn't necessarily the thing that they're most afraid of. Which is sometimes a scary yeah. thought. If he's less afraid of my Gray Merchant of Asphodel than he is of my Caustic Caterpillar, that should tell. That's like warning signs going yeah. off. Of my head, right? Well, I think my, my favorite play was against a Jira deck that was not out of the box. The, the, he had built it to play with the commander, and at some point he got Tristani out and made a bunch of tokens, so he was at like 150-ish life. Wolf. Um, it was down to him and I. It came back to me, and I had a bunch of like doctor tokens and various treasures in play, and I cast, and, and I forgot the name of the spell now, out of the core set that it, it, you can either you can either make two golems or make an artifact you control into a copy of another artifact Master you control. Masterwork. Yeah, something. I yes. played it in a in a deck. I can't. Did. Yeah. So it, it's a slam dunk. Master for replication, I believe it might be something like that. Yeah. So I was able to then on my turn turn 
all of my tokens into Worm Coil Engine tokens. That's disgusting. And they were unblockable because Vela gives them Intimidate. That's amazing. So I, I was able to swing with 17 Worm Coil Engine tokens into a single player and not kill him. Oh, but you didn't kill him. It wasn't enough damage to kill him. And it did. It, it, the, the turn passed. It came back around to me. I gained enough life that he his crackback wouldn't have killed me. So we just did, like, he, he had no answer. Then I had enough other stuff on board because I got him down to, like, 30 or something. And I was going to be able to kill him on the, the following turn. So we, we scooped it up. But how often can you say you hit somebody, number one, with 17 Wormco Engine <laughs> tokens in the first place, and secondly, that it wasn't lethal damage? Oh, yeah. Man. So uh, that was a pretty cool thing to have to have participated in on both ends. That is absolutely righteous. And I will mention this one that happened last night. Um, I got a um, a Revel Riches out with, <laughs> with enough extra mana available to actually save it with a heroic intervention if I needed to. And I went all the way around the board after I saved it, and at the last possible second. Yeah, I kept. Joey drops the Golgari charm to blow it up. I got oh. people on tenter hooks right there. That was really fun. I did like that though because you want you let everyone else. That was a little bit strategic on your part because yeah. why blow your card if you can make somebody else do yeah, it? Yeah, there was an entire other person before sure. it got to your turn that who spent exhausted a lot of their resources trying to find something to deal with you. I, I play games a little cutthroat yeah, sometimes. No, that was that was a that was well played on your part. I still think I should have won just by. I you should have just let me win. Well, here's the thing: I super didn't win that game anyway. You did not. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe it was strategically advantageous. So another thing that happened while we were here with the EDHREC crew, we got to meet Nate and Patrick and Kaya and. Uh, DM Cross and... Yeah, there were so many of us, Yeah, guys. J-Pod and... Yeah, the, we the Keats and Tom and the yeah. other folks who work at Ediatrek. While we were here, we and a couple of other content creators as well, uh, we did a commander-sealed sort of uh, environment. That was very, very interesting experience. Uh, can you sort of walk us through, if you don't mind, Max, walk yeah. us through how the rules on that went when we all opened up a commander deck? Uh, so essentially, what we all got 15 booster packs... And it was scattered among the the Ravnica sets this time. What's in standard currently? Yeah, and then we all got a two battle bond, some conspiracy, and three packs conspiracy. You got two of one set and one of the other. It was just randomly, and something else. A bunch of corset stuff. Yeah, corset yeah. stuff. So like fifteen total packs, and then we would each open those and build a deck. But we'd also been given a pack of randomized commanders. Yeah. So what Don did is he scraped the top thirty. Best, you know, most popular in the top, bottom, like, 100. And then he made 15 booster packs of random legendary creatures that we could use if we didn't pull something out of our booster packs. Right. So to clarify, he's taking away the most popular and the least popular. So yes. we're not getting, like, Tobias Andreon or something like right, that. Right, right. We're getting, like, actual legitimate commanders within the, the middle part yes. around there. And we each got 15 of those. We would open all of the packs, see what we got, and then we could build a deck using a proxy of one of the commanders that we picked from our randomized pack. What did you guys end up going with? I played uh, Grim Grim the Corpse Barn out of my legendary uh, pack. And it was not zombies, it was just blue-black creatures (laughs) and try to Voltron in. Sounds good. Dana? I had a Zony Thousand Eyes. And that was not that was one that I opened in one of my packs. It wasn't a commander from the. Oh, that's right. That's a rule I forgot to mention. Yeah. Yeah. If you open a commander within the packs, then you can use that one yep. if you want. Yes. So it, I had a weird pool. It, it was randomized, but I had stuff that wasn't really going to be playable. Like I, I had a Kozilek. 
and there wasn't going to be enough colorless spells to make a hundred card deck. Right. I had an, uh, Urza was one of mine, and I'm like, I, there's not enough artifacts again to use an Urza. I had an Arcades, there wasn't enough walls. <laughs> right. So like, I just like, well, Zoni, I can. I had enough Golgari stuff. That was where all my removal was anyway. So I'm like, well, I might as well. I'll just try a Zoni. Yeah, I actually opened up a Tatiova, but I didn't have a whole lot of fun stuff happening in uh, in my blue pool at all. I opened up a Feather, Ooh. and I was very tempted to build yeah. Feather, but when I looked through my pool, I had like two total combat tricks. Um, so I ended up going with one of the commanders that was in my randomized pack, and that was Prosh, Skyrider of Care, who makes a bunch of kobolds, and I made those kobolds do work for me. It yeah, was, you did. I mean, I really like Feather, but guys, I also really like sacrificing my yes. creatures. Yeah, you do. I, I really, really do. <laughs> uh, that was really great. But also, this is something that I'd kind of forgotten about. I decided what I was going to build, and then I started... This was the part that I'd forgotten. Maybe I could have traded for more combat tricks. I almost wish that I had gone with Feather, because there was a trading round after you opened yes. things, too. You're opening in a pod of four people that you're not going to end up playing against later. So you are able to trade against those people yes. and see if you, they've got any cards that you want, and that they have right. uh, you know, vice versa, and then make a totally different deck out of that. And That was certainly fun before you moved on to your round. So it sort of greased the wheels a little bit. For so sure. that you could make the 100-card deck and have it actually be you know, semi-viable in that environment. We also reduced the starting life totals to 30. Right. And for time constraints, because we did start this pretty late in the evening, I think every round was supposed to be an hour, and at the 10-minute mark, we dropped a Havoc Festival emblem on the tables. Yes, yeah, which people can't gain life, cuts your life in half every turn, so that definitely speeds the game along. And I'd like to mention, this is something I forgot to mention at the start as well, probably shows how many games we've played, now frazzledly all right now, Uh, I forgot to mention that this, I believe, was invented by Dean Goody, Yes. Uh, one of our writers on EDH yep. Rec, he had instigated this and he tried it previously, so Don took the idea from him and, and used it here. Um, and so we were able to get all of those uh, tips and tricks from him to make sure that we could get a really fun environment. How did the games go for you guys? Uh, they were pretty wet noodle for me. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of guys whacking each other with, with real limp um, implements. Um, it was okay. I, I think the... Don't uh, Google that. Yeah, no, don't. Um, it, it was interesting. The variance is almost much like when you're playing a sealed environment or limited or something with standard, there's obviously variance. The person who opens that Teferi or that God Eternal, and if they get it in play, it's just such a beating that it's tough to recover from that. Um, but the variance is that much higher in this environment because there's more packs, I think. And if you get that one card out of your 100 in play, even if your opponent has one good card too, the odds of them seeing it are much lower versus... Right. So if you happen to hit yours and they don't, that can be a really huge swing. And, and that's what I found. Like, I had almost nothing good um, in my deck that was <laughs> just general in my packs that I cracked. Yeah. And, and, and a couple things that were okay, like I opened an Arclight Phoenix, which is a really solid card, at least in other formats, and I had nothing else in red, and I had one commander, even in my commander random pool, that was red. So my one good card was kind of not playable, and... Versus some other people that had a lot of really, really good synergies. So I think you had some weird things there. I think there are probably some ways to paper over the variance a little bit better. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I really did enjoy the environment, and I would definitely absolutely do it again. Um, but I think it's one of those things, like, this has just been, this was just something that Dean created, you know, three weeks ago. And I think if, if we tried a couple more times and do a few different variants and a few different tweaks to it, um, it could be a much more fun format. 
Yeah, it was definitely a really. It, it sort of takes you back to basics. When we yes. play Commander all the time, play Commander all the time, play Commander all the time, we sometimes forget some of the lessons that we can learn from right. other formats, especially things like Limited. Like, there's a lot of extra value judgment that you have to be doing there. So, this sort of took you back to what are the essentials that I need. And that was a, a really fun exercise. I actually found building this deck easier than a Limited deck, like either a, Interesting. a draft deck or something, because, and Patrick Sapolo made it clear, he said, you knew what colors you wanted to play, you eliminated three-fifths of your card pool because you can't play red and green. And right. Orange. So he said, now you're focused on two colors. I'm like, that actually makes a lot of sense. So I found building a commander deck in an hour out of 15 booster packs was way easier than doing a, a draft at the GP and trying to build a deck on the fly because you can go, well, I can splash for this, I can splash for that, and you can't in this format. Yeah, oh, that's very, very interesting, yeah. Uh, how did your games go, Max? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. And that shows the variance of the randomized booster pack. My first pod was a Maelstrom Wanderer deck, and it, he had a Sovala, mono green Sovala in the deck. He just had every big fatty that he could get out. He had turn three Maelstrom. Yeah. So it's like, you can't. And that's a good, like, weird variant thing there, too. If you're playing Maelstrom Wanderer, if that's one of your commanders, then that seven mana uh, vanilla beater green common becomes a really, really good card. That's true. That was my favorite part of it, was the weird synergies that this opened up that you obviously wouldn't see in a normal commander game, but I had a bunch of really interesting stuff to do with all of my kobolds. It yeah. wasn't just sacrificing them to Prosh. I also had things like Cavalcade of Calamity, or whatever that enchantment is, that says whenever you attack with a creature with power one or less, it deals damage to the person that it's attacking. Well, I have a bunch of zero one kobolds, so then I was able to attack with them. Yeah. They would ping the opponent, right. and I would play Trumpet Blast, and they would deal extra damage. So I actually like had an army in a can already nice. with a bunch of very strange synergies. I ended up winning in my first pot. I was playing against uh, Kaikar, Yannette, and Zergo. I ended up eking it out there, and then I also played against that Maelstrom Wanderer deck. I uh, played against Maelstrom Wanderer, Gave Guru of Spores, and someone had opened a Golos Tireless Pilgrim uh, in one of their packs, too. So then that was a very, very stompy... Uh, final game that we played. Henry Stukenborg ended up winning in the finals of this, and he won a Sensei's Divining Top uh, that Kayaves had constructed as a grand prize. Super cool looking yeah. life counter. Really cool life corner that is actually able to spin. Like, you know, when someone casts a spell, you can, in response, spin your life total. Really, really cool construction there. That game was absolutely wild. Uh, Nate, who was piloting Maelstrom Wanderer, he was able to get one of the, the, the brand new Chandra in play yeah. that gives people burning emblems. So we kind of started with that Havoc Festival. Sure. <laughs> so that right out and he got four of those emblems on us we just weren't able to deal with it henry ended up closing out that game he had the gave deck he made a bunch of tokens used some type of overwhelming stampede type of effect some overrun to kill the golos player used a combination of bolus's citadel and exploration to amass a absolutely ridiculous ton of value oh. then chunk everyone for 10 life and then i was left to be finished off with the residual chandra emblems so, oh. yeah, very, very handily finished that game. It was an absolute blast. So it's just nice to see that even in that more limited environment, you can still get some really awesome, right, yeah. very traditional EDH plays. For sure. So did you guys have any other final thoughts, uh, any fun experiences from the GP before we wrap up this quick crossover episode? Um, I'll say this. I, I did hear every single, like, I don't think there was a table I sat at where people didn't start off the game by saying, so what's the power level we're playing at? That okay. is now, it seems like that has now become a standard a standard part of the conversation in games, and that's 
really, really, really good to see. It was also nice to see, too, the command zone area was split into two areas. Yeah. Uh, spaces that are a bit more on the casual side and spaces that are a bit more on the competitive yeah. side. They had signs uh, pointing it, and you could get small signs for your table saying, looking for, and then it would list that power level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For there that too. was really, really cool. Um, that and them having the judges around, like everything about that experience was absolutely super, super fun. You can hear more of our thoughts on the first episode yep. on the CMDR Central show. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Max, any final thoughts from you? Uh, you know what? This is my favorite week of the year. It's my summer camp. Yeah. I get to see all my friends get to play magic for a week straight. Can it be next year now? Can we just go back? <laughs> just go, Let's yeah, just go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Let's just skip the next 364 days right. and we'll just go to this moment next year. Yeah, yes. it was absolute blast. We come to Vegas to play cards, but we play the magical cards, not Absolutely. the gambling type of Absolutely. cards. Absolutely. <laughs> well, with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank you guys so much for joining me. Even you, Max, from the other podcast. We appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope I did Matt proud with my dad joke earlier. And you will be much delighted. Uh, and so, in lieu of my traditional outro, I'm just going to ask where can people find you guys on Twitter? You can find me at Central underscore Max. And you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can hear us both twice a week on our show, CMBR Central. See, even Dana says it's the other show. And I'm <laughs> Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>